Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just NAS Science Podcast. Each episode, we debunk ridiculous yet common science misconceptions we find online and get just a little salty about them. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nick. Before we get started, though, we'd love to have you come check out our Twitch page. Twitch is a totally free platform that allows you to interact with us in real time. We're usually in the kitchen cooking food, but sometimes we drink out of shoes, sometimes Jerry hosts a dance party. Definitely click the link in the description to watch our channel trailer and see what it's all about. Since Father's Day was just this past Sunday, we thought, what better time to discuss common myths and misconceptions about pregnancy? Mainly how you get pregnant, since there seems to be a lot of confusion around that topic, and also the science behind paternity tests. Okay, uh, before we get started, let's just say that there's going to be some obvious sexual content, right? I think that's a given. So if you're not cool with that, I, I apologize in advance, but it's happening. It's so, happening. <laughs> <laughs> so here are some funny but kind of legit questions surrounding pregnancy that I think a fair amount of people may have. And the first one is... Is it possible to become pregant a week before next period? <laughs> Keep in mind, we are reading these like directly from Yahoo Answers. <laughs> so we're not saying it weird or anything. Like This is how it was written. I know we're not the first people to do this, but you I know, still love these. deal with yeah. it. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not sure what pregant is, but is it possible to become pregnant Ooh. a week before your next period? Well... Usually yes. it's two weeks before your period, though, because you become, well, it's uh, the 15th day of your cycle around, is right? peak time, is ovulation, right? Right. But that doesn't mean you can't get pregnant a week before your period. Right. Your chances are a little lower, just like the closer you get to your actual menstruation, the chances are lower, but it, you certainly can. In fact... Women generally ovulate for four, sometimes five days. Okay. It's possible to get pregnant. Well, I mean... That's five almost a whole week. Exactly. That's yeah. what I was going to say. And did you know that once the fetus is made, it actually starts to release hormones to tell the body, hey, we're pregnant and stop everything else? <laughs> so it's very, very possible. Yeah. Hormones be crazy. They, they really do. People yeah, so just like... Be careful. <laughs> if you're asking this question, just be careful. People <laughs> don't think of your period. People don't think it be like it be, but it do. All right. So the next question we have is, can I get pregnant if I have sex without penetration? No. <laughs> okay. Let's just clarify. I had to like get some clarification to this one. Like, well, what do they mean by sex without penetration? That's not sex. Whatever you're about to say, <laughs> it's not sex. Right. But this person was referencing... Your partner ejaculating near your vagina. Which is the funniest <laughs> shit ever. Like, no, it won't, like, absorb through your thigh or something. If that's <laughs> what you're thinking. Oh, my God. You know how many people will be pregnant? <laughs> and then they also reference, like, well, your partner's erect penis comes into contact with your body near your vagina. Again, if he stabs you in your thigh with your penis, you won't get pregnant. <laughs> what do people think happens, like... If you insert your dick into someone's belly button like a fucking light socket, <laughs> like it just, that's it. That's how babies are born. Ding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, can, it, are there ways for you to get pregnant if you did not have sex? 
Yes, there are chances of pretty low. But okay, describe what you mean by that, though, because that's like why very conf- me do this? because most people are gonna be like, no, you can't. Okay, let's pretend that so there's some the ejaculate near a woman's vagina, and then she happens to touch herself or rub it in somehow. I don't know. That's a possibility. I mean, I think that's like super low. Well, again, can it happen? It is certainly possible. Will Listen, there could also be aliens, but like it's. I mean, I, I think the chances of that are much higher. Than yeah, but I don't want somebody to be like, "Oh, Nick and Lauren said it's totally cool to do, so like nothing bad can happen." And that's not. There is a chance, okay, but there I think is a chance. the original way the question was worded, like, is it possible to get pregnant without having penetration? I mean, like, not really. I mean, again, it's not likely. I know I said no straight up before, but um. I do want to be clear that it is certainly possible. It's funny, but it's possible. <laughs> well, let's talk about, okay, how do you actually get pregnant, right? So in each ejaculation, there are like millions of sperm that get released. And these sperm have to go through like basically American Ninja Warrior of obstacle courses to get to that egg to Only the Michael it. Phelps of <laughs> each batch i don't like that i don't like that at all uh i don't like load either so we'll go (laughs) with batch all right yeah only like the best of the best typically make it like the the environment of the vagina is pretty acidic which often kills a lot of sperm they get caught just like in the just in In sightseeing yeah (laughs) sightseeing they get lost they go to the wrong tube right half of them roughly you could assume go to the wrong tube because uh, only one tube has the fertilized egg generally, right? At a time. It, it switches each month. Right. Um, so, yeah, at, at the end, there's only a couple. We show a video to, like, a classes in school about this. And the video shows, like, maybe, like, ten dudes making it towards the end. And then all ten dudes converge on that egg. But it's whoever breaks through those barriers first is the one who actually will fertilize. So... Even if you make it to the egg, doesn't even mean you're going to be the one to fertilize. So. Yeah. Um, sperm cells have an enzyme at the head of the sperm cell mm-hmm. that has to burrow through like a protective wall around the egg. And then once the first cell makes it through, the the egg releases like this envelope around it that prevents other sperms from fertilizing it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is actually pretty wild. So when you when you study that on that molecular level, you realize how incredible was it is that you were even born in the first place like the odds of you being born are so slim right because of everything that has to fall into place but anyway so your partner ejaculating near your vagina probably not going to make the cut just right. saying they have to like actually get inside yeah so our next question though is i think a pretty good one yeah no this one's like a, an actual question i don't think there's anything particularly funny about it it's just It's a good question. (laughs) So the question is, do babies use the bathroom in the womb? And this this question was inspired from a tweet that Lauren found where someone was talking to their five-year-old. And the five-year-old said, what happens if the baby pees? And the pregnant wife said, she won't. She waits till she's born. And the five-year-old responds, right. Just like no one pees in the pool. And (laughs) the five-year-old is actually right on this one. Uh, babies do use the bathroom in the womb and the placenta works as a two-way filter 
So it brings good materials in glucose, you know, oxygen, other materials, nutrients, that, nutrients that the fetus needs. But it also takes away waste, things like urea, uric acid, bilirubin, which is a product of red blood cell breakdown, uh, and and other things. Carbon dioxide. Yeah. So it, it is a two-way street. Are they like going to the bathroom? It's a little different, uh, but I do think they actually pee. But I could be wrong on that. Yeah, well, this this also brings me to another point that, like, there was this trend. I don't know if it's still a trend that women eating their placentas after birth because they felt like, oh, it's high in nutrients because that's what feeds the baby. But it's also, like, high in, like, toxins that they're trying to get out of the womb. So I wouldn't do it. The, the placenta itself is not feeding the baby. The placenta is literally a filter. Right. That's well, its, it's, that's it's allows function. things through. Yeah. But, yeah, but all the... The waste goes through too, so I don't. I'm not gonna put that back in my body. Yeah, like, that's like eating your pool filter. Like, yeah, why would you want to do that? Uh, no, no thanks. Kim Kardashian. Ugh. She did that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure for one of her pregnancies. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Gross. I mean, you, you do you, but like, I don't. I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, so those are some like decent questions that we thought you know weren't actually answering but then we found some ridiculous like straight up silly questions <laughs> that we're not going to answer we're just going to read the questions and maybe laugh about it for a second or two and then move on <laughs> so the first one is about from this woman who says she recently got back with her boyfriend and now she's pregnant in mid-february this is so she wants to know is it possible that i'm pregnant with someone else's baby that she had protected sex with back in december even though she got her period both in december and january so she got a period for two months in a row after having sex with this guy and now she wants to know if her pregnancy in february is from him oh my god yeah i mean i'm sure there's someone out there who has a crazy pregnancy story like like this but the odds are again just so so low i mean you had your period twice right so now, now, we don't know the, the degree in which she had appeared. Maybe she was just doing, you if, know, okay. spotting or something. Right. Plenty of women, when they're pregnant, still spot and bleed, like a couple of my friends have, which led them to not know they were pregnant for a couple of months. Right. But if you're actually getting your period and you know that or, you know, however you know that, but it's it's pretty normal to what you typically get, like your period is shedding of your uterine lining. So once that egg does not get fertilized, you know, your hormones change and your body, uh, what is it? I think it's a serious decrease in progesterone that just sheds that uterus. So that's why sometimes when you have your period, you notice like what seems to be like almost like tissue in it. If you use like a pad, you'll notice that more than a tampon. Sorry to get gross, but we talk about this in class too, so whatever. Um, but if, yeah, If so, high school students can handle it, so can yeah. you. So if there's no uterine lining, there's nothing for the zygote to attach to and, and that ba- the baby needs to be or so the fetus needs to be attached to something to grow in the womb i would be even hesitant to call it a fetus yeah, at that not, stage it's a, it is literally a bunch of cells at the at the time of a zygote it's, a blastocyte, it's, it's one cell and then as it divides it becomes a blastocyst blastocyte that kind of stuff and then uh, an embryo and then yeah, fetus okay yeah. we don't we don't need to like go through the entire embryonic development i was mumbling off and ram- you know rambling for a reason <laughs> that was your cue to move on all right so the second question says um again we're reading these word for word <laughs> 
says, what happened if we eat papaya after the egg has been fertilized? And is three small pieces of papaya enough to prevent pregnancy after intercourse? It seems like this person <laughs> is asking if papaya can be used like plan B. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, no. And again, I don't want anyone to think that we are making fun of these people. You know, the, the, they have legitimate questions, but, you know, I think they're kind of funny. This makes me, like, concerned as to the level of sex ed we give people in schools. And, I, you know, who knows what country this person was from that asked this question, right, doesn't really s- specify. But, man, we are dropping the ball so bad on sex ed, it's not even funny. And that's, like, how we reproduce as a species. Like, that should be the first thing we understand, right? That is, like... Maybe not first, you know, I think I think like your ABCs and consent should be first, yeah. and then then we move on to okay, how you know it works. what I you know what I mean. I don't. I we don't. would go extinct as a species if we couldn't reproduce. We should have an understanding of how we reproduce. That's to me, this is like insane. Yeah. Well, like I said, we don't know the level of education this person has received. We don't know where they're from. But I I've never heard of papaya being used as like some type of contraception. No, me, me neither. I don't know if there's something in papaya that maybe like like Mountain Dew lowers your sperm count type thing. I don't yeah, but know. But she specifically says <laughs> right after, after inc- I mean, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. Mountain Dew is pretty good at it. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But this like this makes me think of Mean Girls when they're sitting through sex ed with the gym teacher, and he's like, basically all of sex ed was like, don't have sex, or you'll get chlamydia and you'll die. And then it's like, that's it. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, we, we talked about this recently, so I don't yeah. want to keep going. And we even said we weren't going to answer these questions, and I feel like we are. <laughs> um, but we have one more, and this one is, this one I think is, is wild. Yeah. So, bathtub and sperm? <laughs> I had a bath and ejaculated in the bath. The bath had no soap and just water. Then I drained the bath out. About two later, about two minutes later... And my mom ran a bath in the same tub and had a bath. What are the chances of pregnancy? I am really worried. <laughs> You're a bath so many times. This has to be a frantic, like, 14-year-old. Yeah, he's also, yeah. jerked it for the first time. It and now he's afraid that. that he's going to get his mom pregnant in it the bathtub. It has to be that. Oh, man. Again, just basic misunderstanding of how pregnancy works, how you get pregnant. And this guy's not even sure if he's worried. You know, he's, I'm really worried, question mark, question mark, exclamation point. Yeah, it's it's interesting, the idea that, like, there may be sperm, like, adhering to the floor or the walls. Right, because he drained the tub. Yeah, yeah. And then they're waiting there, like a fucking sperm-filled Trojan horse, which I guess is probably why they call it Trojans. And... <laughs> But like the Trojans do get out, like the like the that's probably not like a great brand name. Like they do get out, <laughs> like that's the whole plan is to get inside and be free. Now that I'm really thinking about it, <laughs> so well, anyway. I hope somebody answered this poor kid's uh, <laughs> question and was like, "Don't worry, you didn't just get your mom pregnant." I, I someone did answer, and I have no idea when these questions were asked. We just did a quick Google search kind of and found a bunch of questions and we picked our favorites. But Lauren mentioned this one tweet a really long time ago and it was, why do the women never have to take a DNA test 
to see if it's their child. And I, 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 Yeesh. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of think that falls into like legitimate question. I, I think the act of childbirth is probably good proof, but you well, know, the, the res- someone responded to their tweet underneath it and was like, "I've lost all faith in humanity." <laughs> it's like I, birthing a child that grew inside of you for nine months is is not proof enough. I, I get, I, I guess. know, but what if you have two people claiming that that's their baby? And then how do you prove one over... I mean, then you would have to take a, a maternity test. Right, but I think... I'm pretty sure they're saying in the in the sense that, like, why I, do men always have to take it? Yes, I know. I know. It's... I'm trying to be a little fair. Not I for sh- this one. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. But that leads us to, like, I guess, like, the main point of this, of this episode is about paternity tests, right? And fatherhood. You know, I became a little interested in this, even as a, like a kid skipping school and watching Maury. Because, like, what else were you going to do after The Price is Right was on? I was going to say, you watched The Price is Right. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I think Maury was on right before or right after Price is Right. I can't remember what. But that's not the point. The point is, Maury shows the best shows were the the paternity episodes, right? Or, like, my teens, you know. Didn't Montel Williams that show... Uh, do paternity tests a lot too. I didn't watch Montel Williams. I watched. I watched all. I just sit there like, yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, there would be some person, and the Moria would exclaim, "You are or you are not the father," and one of those statements is accurate, and the other is sort of not really accurate. And what do I mean by that? In statistics, in paternity tests, this is where things stop being funny. By the way. <laughs> In paternity tests, just like in any statistical analysis, you can't really ever prove the claim. You can only disprove or exclude other things. So when he says you are not the father, that's accurate. A paternity test will say that you know an individual is excluded as a possibility of being the father because they don't have enough DNA matches. And we'll talk about what those DNA matches are. But when a person is the father... There is no confirmation on that paper, on that results, saying that they are the father. What they're saying is that they could not be excluded because the likelihood of them being a match is 99.9%. And they have this thing called the combined paternal index, which is basically just a number. And the higher the number, the less likely it is that the child was born from someone else. And so that might sound a little confusing, but with an example, it makes sense. So you have a combined paternity index of a million, for example. If what that number means is the odds of this baby not being that person's child is a million to one. That's real. That's all it means. So the larger the number, the more likely it is that it's whoever's your testing's child. Gotcha. So this reminds me of my biostats class in grad school where it was like, you can never, ex- I forget which is which, but like, you can reject the null, but you can never fully accept it. You can just like not reject the null or some hypothesis it, so, because you can't of. fully You have it the wrong way. Prove you, it. you can reject or accept the null hypothesis, but when you would, when you reject it, by default, you are accepting the alternate. Yeah. Which I, I know it sounds a little confusing. But really all that's saying is we disprove 
or dis we exclude enough possibilities, right? We exclude enough, op, you know, different things where you're only left with one reasonable or one possible option. And while we can't prove it, we disproved everything else, so it must be that. Right. Well, it's just like you know, if you say something statistically significant, you it's usually like ninety-five percent or higher that. Um, this didn't occur by chance, right? right? So 95 to 99, let's say, percent um, likely that this is your child, but we can't say for sure. Right, right? And, and the percentage f- for that is usually higher. It's usually 99.9. That's and, like, and so they look at, they look at the, the DNA between the child and the potential father, right? And the mother. They actually do collect maternal DNA because you get half of your DNA from the mother mm-hmm. and half from the father, so if you have, you know, you're testing three men, well, how do you know which DNA came from which man? Right, you, so you use the mother's DNA as almost like a control. Right. Cool. To, to, to compare the segments that the child has, you take a, you basically just like subtract the maternal DNA, mm-hmm. and then you compare what's left to the three men that you're testing. So the woman does kind of take a DNA test in a way. She, she does. But Do you think they ever did a paternity test and then they actually were flagged by the maternity DNA? Like, hold up a second. This does not even come close to matching. Uh, I mean... This woman stole the baby out of the NICU. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, maybe. Who knows? I'm, I'm sure, you know, you're always hearing... Or they got switched in the... Delivery, yeah. I mean, now with with those DNA ancestry tests being more and more popular, how many times do you hear, um, you know, crazy stories about people finding out that they aren't, you know, they're adopted or someone had an affair, they have like stepkids or something? Like, it's really common. You could probably do an easy Google searching and find tons of stories. I love those stories, they keep me up at night, (laughs) (laughs) they're so good. That's why I don't want to take one. So, you know, it's interesting, though, because you can't just test any DNA, right? I mean, humans share 99% of their DNA with other humans. It's what makes us human. And if you think about that, it really makes sense. It might sound like it's inaccurate, but we have all the same organs. We have all the same bodily functions and all of those things, all those cells, tissues, organs, enzymes, everything. They're all made from our DNA, from the from the blueprint that our DNA gives and that's shared across all humans. If you have a change in your DNA for say the hemoglobin gene, well then you have a problem. And most commonly it's sickle cell anemia and it can be really serious in patients who have two defective hemoglobin um, All right, well, this isn't an episode on sickle cell, but thank you for that. Okay. so But it we, is kind of crazy to think about that only like 1% or less of our DNA accounts for all the different ways we look, like all of our phenotype differences too, which is wild because that's how most people get identified. I mean, how do we, how much DNA do we share with, with apes? It's, well, it's like, like 90, 98%. Yeah, it's, it's not very far off. And think of how different we are with just that 2% difference. And we talked about this in, um, I think when we were talking about aliens. Or so evolution. Like, um, imagine if there was a higher species power, right, with a just a 2 or maybe even 10% different oh, oh, DNA, the, but they're the like a higher being. On um, if, there's, uh, if we're in a simulation. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyway... 
So it's crazy. If we can't test 99% of DNA, what can we test? Well, we actually test that 1%. Humans have what's called short tandem repeats or STRs. And it's, it's basically just segments of DNA that repeat a bunch. And different people have different number of repeats in different areas. So we look at in paternity tests, for example, sometimes over 20 different short tandem repeat sites. And the more matches that a child has with a potential father, the more likely they are to actually be that, you know, that person's uh, child. child, whatever. Yeah, I got I got lost in there. <laughs> so the more matches, the more likely it is to be a match. And so do these tandem sites, are they, they basically looking for mutations? Yeah. Among I mean, these repeats? These aren't mutations. Um, these are just a segment of DNA. So DNA is made up of four nucleotides called, you know, for short, ACTG. So you might have a segment, you know, AAC, for example, and that might repeat four times or five times. And then you have another site that it's TTG, and that might repeat eight times. Uh, again, the short tandem repeat, so it's you know, small pieces of nucleotides uh, or a small sequence of nucleotides that are repeated a few times. And those vary um, uh, across different people. You, I, I wouldn't call them mutations because it's not like a change in the DNA. It's just more of it or less of it. In crime scene investigations, you would be looking at mutations because you are trying to identify a single individual. So there we sometimes look at what's called single nucleotide polymorphisms. But if you want to learn more about that, go to our website and read the blog post I wrote and I talk a little bit more about it. Jerry thinks this topic is riveting. He's staring at the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess if fucking Jerry's bored of it, I, I guess that means we should end this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and especially share it. It takes a literal seconds to hit subscribe and click the five-star review button, and it means a whole lot to us. Positive ratings and shares on social media are the biggest ways you can help us spread this good, good science to even more people. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Just Not Science, and you can visit our website, JustNotScience.com, where you can watch YouTube videos, read blog posts, or submit questions and suggest topics for future episodes. The link that everything I just said, including our Twitch channel, are all in the episode description. And don't forget, we put out new episodes every Tuesday. As always, thanks again for listening. Later, nerds. Later, gators. <laughs>